you will take your Bibles and turn to the scripture you're seeing on the screen. Revelations, Revelation chapter 9. Or Revelation chapter 9. <clears throat> For those who have um, not been here in a while, we've been working our way through the book of the Revelation. We find ourselves in the midst of uh, the end of the world, the end of the judgment. Actually, the middle of the judgment. Revelation chapter 9. If you have found that text, and you can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? Listen, follow along, because this is indeed God's holy word. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came out of the smoke on to the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have God's seal on their forehead. They were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They, they will long to die, but death will flee from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Something like golden crowns was on their heads. Their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions, so that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. They had as their king... The angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two more woes to come after this. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. From the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. This is how I saw the... the horses and their riders in the vision. 
They had breastplates that were fiery red, hyacinth blue, and suffer yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and from their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouth and in their tails, because their tails, which resembled snakes, have heads that inflict injury. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer. As we look into the end time that you have already showed us, I pray, Lord, that we'll prepare for that day so that we'll not have to live through that day, but that we can be in the throne room with you. I pray for every person in this room, and I pray if there's anyone who doesn't know you in a personal way, that today will be the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My goal as your pastor, as we walk through the revelation, is to remind you and me how good, how gracious, and how patient the Lord has been with us. He has called us to Himself. He has called us to be saved. He has called us to walk with Him. He has made for us a way to walk with Him. And He continues to call us. And some of you say, well, why? If we're reading this bad stuff, why do you say that, Brother Jerry? It's because Peter teaches us that the Lord, are you listening? The Lord is not willing that anybody should perish. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. But I want to say this, as good news as that sounds, He doesn't want anyone to perish. It does come with a caveat, a condition, a stipulation, or an admonition. Peter tells us that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but listen, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is the only way. The judgment that we are reading about in the Revelation is reserved for those who refuse to accept God's offer of salvation, those who refuse to repent, those who reject Jesus, those that, that don't find forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. And to everyone here, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us this, Now is the time. Today is the day 
of salvation. Don't put it off till tomorrow. We read this tough, and it's a tough text. It's, it's, this, this whole book is really tough. It's been rightly said that there are some things that are worse than death, and we find it here. The seals are now opened. The, the scroll is bare. The trumpeters have lined up. And, and now we see the fifth trumpet's about to sound. The conditions are so extreme on earth that verse 6 tells us that people want to die. They long to die, but they can't find death. Here's what I'm going to tell you. This is why I titled this message like this today. If you've looked in your bulletin, the title is, You Don't Want to Live Then. You don't want to live there. You don't want to live then. When I read these words, let's just get a little perspective. When I read these words of Revelation, for the person who has never received Christ Jesus, if you're sitting here and you have never received Christ Jesus, you've never given Him your life, you have never followed Him in baptism, you have never read the Bible as a, as a follower of Christ, here's what I'm going to tell you. These words should be words of enlightenment for you. Because the person who has never trusted and followed Jesus Christ is headed for this place that nobody wants to go. Headed for this judgment that nobody wants to have. Today I implore you, if there's someone in this room and you're dependent on mom's or dad's faith, you're dependent on the fact that your family name is an integral part of New Hope Baptist Church. You're dependent on something else other than Jesus and your relationship to Jesus. This should enlighten you that there is no way to heaven like that. You have to come to Jesus. Be forgiven of your sin. Be given a new life. Let Him change you from the inside out. Conversely, for those who have received Jesus, this should be a word of encouragement. It certainly was for the first century folks, but the first century folks were facing a lot more judgment than we face today. They were facing judgment and they needed some help. They needed some relief. They were kind of like Jerry Clower used to say, shoot up here amongst us. Some One of us got to have some relief. When Jesus gave these words to John, it was to give relief. It was to give encouragement. Today, it should be encouragement for you. This is something you will not have to endure if you know Jesus because you'll be taken away in the rapture. But make no mistake, everyone in the room, evil will ultimately be judged. I remind you what we just read. It tells us that The first woe has passed, but there are two more. Back in chapter 8, you see it saying, Woe, woe, woe! It means the worst is yet to come. Today, I just want to unpack this for you as a story. And there will be some lessons that will help us and maybe something that will convict us. As we look at three major thoughts and just a kind of unpack it a little bit as we look at chapter 9. The first thing I want you to see that's mentioned in verse 1 is what I'm calling the fallen star, the fallen angel. The fallen angel. And, and I will tell you this, I will remind you of this, John did not see this angel fall. When he saw the star, the angel fall, it, was already, it, was, it had already fallen. 
Some people think this star is a meteorite. I'm going to tell you why that, I don't believe that's accurate. It's because in the next verse it refers to this fallen star, this fallen angel, as a hymn. As a hymn. So, who in the world is this hymn? This hymn, honestly, we don't know. <laughs> this hymn, we don't know. We're not told. Scholars disagree. The guesses about who he is range from, uh, um, this is Satan, to all the way, this is Jesus. Now, as I have read and studied this deeply, it makes more sense in my mind that it's Satan. Because, because of what he does. I want you to remember that Satan is indeed a fallen angel, a fallen star. We're told that. Jim Britt tells us in his, in his commentary, he reminds us of the four falls of Satan. That is, before creation, when he was kicked out of heaven. That is, during the tribulation, when he's kicked out of heaven to earth, falls to earth. His third fall will be in the first part of Revelation 20, when he's cast into the abyss. His fourth and final fall will be at the end of chapter 20, when he is cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And I say all of that to say this. If you're not choosing Jesus today... You are choosing Satan's side. As we'll see in a second, there's only two sides. And if you choose Satan's side, the truth is is that one day you will wind up like he is going to wind up. To choose Satan is to choose pain over peace, punishment over prize, and death over life. To choose Satan's way is the way of the world. To resist Jesus... To resist Jesus is to turn your back on the very one that loves you most. I want you to see this angel, see his appearance. See his appearance. He falls like a star. We're we're familiar with that term star. We call all our celebrities stars. They're those folks we keep our eyes on. Satan is the star when you think about it, that he's leading, what we'll get to in a second, he is leading the forces of evil against the forces of good. And the Bible tells us that he will come as a sheep, excuse me, disguised as a sheep. He'll be a sheep in wolves' clothing. He leads us to be deceptive just like that. Satan is taking us on a collision course with our Creator. If we don't follow Christ, if we don't trust Christ, if, if our lives don't, don't emulate Christ, then we're going to follow Him. And we will be on His side. Because never forget this. Life is a battlefield. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Life is a battlefield. And there are only two sides in this battlefield. Some people want to think there are three or four. Listen, there's not Satan's way, the Savior's way, and your way. The Satan's way, the Savior's way, and Seth's way. Seth's way is Satan's way. That's what the Bible says. 
You see, when you, when you see this fallen angel, there are so many things here that let us, that lead us to believe that he is Satan. The fallen angel thinks he's in control. That's how he appears. So then the second that I would just point you to is I want you to see this fallen angel, not only his appearance, that he appears as in control, but the second thing is his authority. His authority. He's given a key. Does everybody realize that key holders have some authority? Key holders take that key and they lock and unlock things. Key holders are, are supposed to be responsible. Key holders are those folks that you tend to trust. This key that's a symbol of authority. That's why it makes sense to me that this is none other but Satan. Because what does a key holder do? He opens a door and lets all kind of evil on earth. I would think if that was Jesus, he'd have kept the door closed and let, kept everybody locked up. When he opens the door, you saw what happens. Watch this. Smoke. <laughs> Smoke comes out. Evil comes out. It covers the sun and the air. And already, you remember this from our previous study? Already, the days are shortened. The air is thin because of previous judgments. But now this dust comes out, this smoke comes out. Oh, and oh, by the way, this is why we don't like darkness. Because all of a sudden, out of the darkness come a swarm of locusts. Now, young people, you don't know about locusts. I remember a day when locusts came through and ate everything in sight. Can anybody say that? I see a few nods. You're afraid to speak in church. The truth is, is that when locusts come, bad things happen. And it's, and it's, it's not funny, but it's interesting that it tells, they told them here is that uh, um, not to harm any grass on the earth or any green plant. Well, if you read back a couple of chapters, a couple of weeks ago, all of that was already burned up. So evidently four or five months has now passed for some green grass to start sprouting through again. The locusts come out and they possess the power of scorpions. In Bible times, the two, the two most feared insects were scorpions and locusts. Locusts will destroy everything in its path and scorpions has painful, poisonous stingers. This angel used the key he was given to unlock the evil army, watch this, that God uses for his judgment. He thinks he's getting ahead. Can I just pause here and make a point so you don't think this is all academic? Here's the deal. You know what this proves for you and I today? When you give Satan the key to anything, he will do what he wants to with it. You give him the key to your heart, he's going to unlock and put some bad stuff in it. You give him the key to your mind, you'll never believe what goes into your mind. You give him the key to your family, when you give, when you give Satan a key, he'll take full advantage of it because he thinks he has authority. Third thing I'll see here is his army. Verses 7 through 11 tell us about his army. <laughs> it gives us the idea as we read about this army, 
that John is so overwhelmed by this picture. I, some of you, if you don't visualize this, it just doesn't mean anything. But when you, when you think about what John is seeing, it's overwhelming to him. He can't find words. In verses 7 to 11, take your translation, take your version of, of God's uh, uh, word here, and you'll find in those four or five verses that he uses the word like or as eight times at least. It looked like this. It looked like that. He could not find words to describe. And I, and I, I have one little thought here. Is that when we read John's interpretation of what he's seeing, it stretches our minds to the limit. Because he's telling us things that seem beyond our imagination and comprehension. The Bible teaches us about demons. Now, in modern day 21st century Baptist church, we don't believe in demons, and that's probably the reason we're getting our heads handed to us. But there are some deacons, demons. There are some demons that run free, roam free. There are other demons that are kept in prison. And and those demons, when they're released from their prison-like place, they can exact punishment. Yet it could be the very thing that God wants to use to judge us. In the Old Testament, when God judged His people more often than not, He took a pagan, devilish, demonic king to come against his people and teach them a lesson. That might ought to be a lesson for us today. Brother Jerry, why is it getting so hard in America for us to, to exercise our faith, for us to, to share our faith with people at school, at work, in the public place? It could be that God has unleashed the enemy to teach us a lesson because we've taken it so for granted for so long. I'm going to, I'm going to say something else. As you look at the... Uh, uh, I'll wait on that. I want you to see their assignment. This, this is the thing that boggles my mind. The last thing there. See their assignment. They are not assigned, they are not assigned to kill at this point. They're assigned, assigned to torture. They have those stingers. They're assigned to torture everybody on earth for five months. Their their assignment is to torment. You see, torment seems to be the operative word here because of the punishment God... He doesn't want just to obliterate them. He is now exacting judgment for their rejection of His grace. The torment is so horrible... That people are trying to die and they can't find a way. The other night at Carson Springs, I preached on hell. You realize that in hell, that the rich man looked up and he didn't say, I am dying down here. He said, I am tormented down here. Revelation 20, when the devil and the beast and the false prophets are thrown into the lake of fire. 
they are tormented. They don't die, they're tormented forever. And the ones who miss the mark and are th- whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are thrown into the fire and are tormented forever. Brother Jerry, why are you hammering on this? Because I don't want anyone under the sound of my voice to go to that awful place, to live through these awful times. I want us to come to Christ. I want our lives to be changed. I want us to find peace and hope and security and eternal life through Jesus. The sad news here is that the torment's not over. There's much more to come. That was the fifth trumpet. Now the sixth trumpeter raises his trumpet. He blows his trumpet. God says, hey, release the four angels at the river Euphrates. These angels have been stationed at that river for a specific time and task and event. They, with their army, are going to unleash havoc on earth. So let's see the second thing here. The fearless army. Fearless army. If you look in, if you got your Bibles open, you look in verse uh, uh, number 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, four horns from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And I heard a voice say, Voice, say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. And some people will say, what is so big about the river Euphrates? That river stands as a border between Israel and her enemies. The army is 200 million people. Can you imagine can you count? How many can you count to 200 million? How long would it take you to count to 200 million? Man, this is a formidable army. This is a big... Somebody said that, that this would be a line of men, one mile wide and 85 miles deep. This army is not just imposing, doesn't just look imposing, it is imposing. Their breastplates are breathtaking. Red, blue, yellow. And the appearance of the horses, I find this interesting. The appearance of the horses. Now, you understand that John is writing things that he knows. And he's already indicated that he don't recognize everything, so he's saying, like. And so he's talking about these horses. And the horses, their heads look like lion's heads. From their mouth came fire. Watch this. If you think you've often never, never land, fire, smoke, and sulfur. Now, would you do me a favor? Would you do me a favor? I know I ask this, and there's people too proud to do this, but I just wish you would. I would ask everybody just to close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head. Just close your eyes for a second. And I want you, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture a tank. And I want you to picture that tank when it fires. Thank you. Now, here's what I want to tell you. 
What came out of that tank's barrel? What color was it? Could it have been fire, smoke, sulfur? Could it be the, the colors that are mentioned? That high scent, that red? As they fired their tanks. We're seeing an actual battle here. And he's seeing instruments that I don't think he understood what they were. These, and you go, well, what about the tail? Well, what about the tail? A tail gunner back there? There are so many just practical things here. This, the point is not about the weapons they use. The point is that these locusts, what I believe to actually be tanks, those locusts came to terminate. These tanks came to kill. And they're unstoppable. When the fourth seal was opened, 25% of the earth was killed. 25% of the population of the earth was killed. There's carnage all around. There's bodies laying all around. This army kills one-third of what's left. If you do the arithmetic, if you do the arithmetic at this point, 50% of the population of the earth is dead. And this army is unstoppable. Now, we just pause to say, some of us are real kind-hearted people. They may even have a pacifist or two in here. Some of us want to believe that God will not allow this to happen. And yet, as I've said before, just a few minutes ago, God repeatedly in the Old Testament, repeatedly, not only judged people who rejected him, but he used pagan kings to do so. You don't want to live then. You don't want to be on earth at this point because God's wrath is ultimately being poured out on all evil. I end with this, what I call, I see it here, the fatal attitude. When I get to verse 20 and I'm reading, it doesn't say this, but when I get to verse 20 as a reader in a and a searcher and a seeker, it seems to me that God is almost given another break. He's almost given another pause. Why would He do that? Because He wants people who are on earth. You know those people on earth that He's judging? They are still people He loves. Still people that are part of His crown creation. Still people that he might want to be saved. The fatal attitude is found down in verse 20. The rest of the people who were not killed by the plagues, here it is, did not repent of the works of their hands. What are some of those works? To stop worshiping demons. To stop worshiping the idols of gold, idols of silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Those things that are inanimate. And they did not repent of their murders, sorceries, sexual immoralities, or theft. 
they did not repent. They did not repent of their idolatry. They worshipped everything in this world. They worshipped everything of this world. It is your pastor's belief that that is the number one sin in 21st century United States today. We worship, submit to, surrender, and bow at the feet of everything but Jehovah God. Worship is us giving our allegiance. Worship is us setting our priority. Giving our allegiance and our priority to something or someone in such a way that we willingly allow that thing or person to control our lives, our schedules, our checkbook, our thought life. To worship an idol is to break the first and second commandment. Second commandment says don't have any, uh, don't make before me an image. Whether it's breaking the first commandment where we replace God in our lives or the second commandment where we set up a, an image, just be, a, be reminded of this. An idol is a good thing. I could name some good things. An idol is a good thing, which we have made into the ultimate thing, which means it controls us. So now it's a bad thing. And when we have idolatry in our lives, repentance is required, and if we don't repent, you don't answer to the preacher, you answer to God. If we have other gods before him, if we have other sins, it mentioned several here. It mentioned murder, which speaks to our depravity. Sorcery. You know what that word sorcery speaks to? It's where we get our word pharmacy. It talks about people who depend on drugs instead of God for their healing. They didn't repent of their immorality. <laughs> now, you think I could camp here for another hour about the immorality in America, it's reached all new levels. And we're finding new ways to be immoral. I could walk through the list of the five biblical sexual perversions and remind us of what our culture is teaching us is right and God is, is, is telling us that it is wrong. His teaching, listen teenagers, you may not want to hear your old preacher say this, his teaching on sexual morality is there for your protection. It's, it's, it's there for your hope. It's there for your happiness. It's there for your health. And old people, you didn't like that term, did you? Old people, it means the same thing for you. The same rules that apply to this bunch down here apply to us. Don't miss this. God hates sin. That's what we get from this ninth chapter. He hates sin. God judges sin. And He judges the sin of today as well and as much as He does on this earth. 
in the time of the revelation. We have two choices. We can open ourselves to God's judgment and not repent. Or we can thwart God's judgment if we repent. Chapter 9 reminds me, man, I'm glad I know Jesus. I'm glad I walk with Jesus and I'm glad he's going to take me out because I don't want to live in chapter 9. People don't like to hear this, but it will be a terrible time of judgment. Pain, suffering, death. Jesus came to earth. God sent Jesus to earth to shed his blood on Calvary's cross. To die the death for you and me. Paying the price for these sin. So that we could be saved from this time like this and saved to eternity. We could be redeemed and made valuable. We could be rescued. He's calling us today to repent. If you do anything else, it'll be fatal. It will be fatal. I implore you, come to Christ. If you've already received Christ in a personal way, for me, you can do what you want to. For me, every day I spend some time just making sure that there's nothing between my God and me. Because I don't want to step into eternity with one sin still to my charge when Jesus has paid it all. How about you? Let's pray together.